This is Caffeinated Risk, the monthly podcast for security professionals by security professionals, focused on the principles of enterprise security risk management, exploring technology and business management issues and how they relate to information security risk. Once a month, two self-proclaimed grumpy security guys bring you analysis, insights, and interviews with leading security risk professionals to learn how they work through a project, a program, or their careers using a risk-based approach to security. Now, here are your hosts, Tim McCrete and Doug Lees. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second podcast for Caffeinated Risk. We've made a commitment to all of you that we're going to be bringing thought leaders from the cybersecurity world and the risk management world. Today's show hits that out of the park. I'm so happy to introduce our guest for this episode, which is Wynn Schwarto. Wynn is truly the godfather of information security. His career spans from the early 80s up to today. And he's been prolific in the books that he's written and the time that he's spent giving back to the security profession. I just I wanted to read this one uh, one excerpt from a session that he gave in front of the Congressional Subcommittee on Technology and Competitiveness, the Committee on Science, Space and Technology. Holy crap, that's a long name. <laughs> About the state of security in the private sector and government. So now this quote from Wynn came back in 1991. So there wasn't any cybersecurity back then. Nope. But Wynn was talking about this stuff back in 1981, and his quote to the, to the subcommittee goes, government and commercial computer systems are so poorly protected today, they can essentially be considered defenseless, an electronic Pearl Harbor waiting to happen. As a result of inadequate security planning on the part of both the government and the private sector, the privacy of most Americans has virtually disappeared. Folks, that was June 27th, 1991. 91. And Obama issued the presidential order that started the NIST cybersecurity framework in 2014, if I remember correctly. So you bet. Almost 35 years between those two. It's amazing. I was really looking forward to this particular interview because I've seen Wynn speak at a couple of conferences and he's always entertaining. So for those that are listening in, you're catching a couple of old friends comparing notes on security in the security industry. And it, it was truly a great experience to listen to not only the war stories, but the depth and the experience that goes with this. Oh, thanks, Doug. And it was to listen to Wynn talk and just to hear his passion about the work that he spent his entire life doing and to see the knowledge that he brings to everything he does and to talk about his brand new book, Analog Network Security and the concept of time and security and, and how we're talking about risk and enterprise security risk management in the cybersecurity space. There's such a huge compliment between the work that Wynn has done his entire career and what we're trying to do here on our podcast. It was, mm -hmm. yeah, it was, it, it was just, it was an honor to have him on the podcast. It was a blast to just sit and listen to him talk. We're just going to talk. We're going to let you go on time because we want to talk to you about risk. And I think that's one of the questions I wanted to ask is that you have the way I looked at it. So when we were, when you were working on your book and, and I had the privilege of looking at it, right, when you were building, when you were creating it, I kept in my head, I kept looking at this idea of decaying time and trust. And that space that you have in this one graph, there's this elliptical graph that you talk about. And I looked at that from, you know, I looked at it from a, a risk perspective. My, the first thing that went to my head is that that space in that graph, I, I looked at it like that's the learning space. Like that's where I, I learn as much as I possibly can about that, that flow of the traffic or that, that device coming into it. And then when I finally figure out I've learned enough, I'm going to kill it. 
So I don't know if that makes sense, but my in when you know I was reading the last part of of the book, that's what hit me was there's this learning space and how that how do you get security professionals to think of it like that way? Yeah, so I thought I'd talk about a good one, right? So I thought I'd talk about a good one. <laughs> I've got to push back a little bit because that hmm. learning space, yeah, like everything else, I'm postulating is a time function, right? Right. So. I think the first thing that security professionals need to learn or understand is that security is fundamentally pretty damn simple in the abstract. It is pretty damn simple. And the answer is go faster. Right. Go faster. That's it. And uh, if if you start looking at the uh, with the physical domain, all right, every bad guy robbing movie, some guy is sitting there for a month yep. ahead of time measuring how long the detection time, response time takes place in the physical world. Duh, yep. time. Then they go do the deed. They're going to go rob the hill, house on the hill or whatever. Then they can do nefarious technical things and deactivate things, which are all part of a detection system anyway, based upon time. Some guy with a stopwatch is counting down how yep. long it takes. Let's make sure we're out of here 30 seconds early. And it's a no-brainer. Then you go to the work of John Boyd, rest his soul in peace, Colonel John Boyd of the U.S. Air Force in 1984, published perhaps one of the most brilliant papers that was for him about survival. Mm-hmm. How do you win in a dogfight? You go faster. If you get inside of your adversary's decision-making loop, which means time works faster for each step of the process, you will win. Otherwise, you're going to die. Those two principles, when applied to cybersecurity, is where I, I think it's conceptually simple. If people start thinking about every element of their security as it is. Don't, don't, don't screw with anything yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just measure what you've got. Mm-hmm. How long yeah. does this piece take? Does this piece take? Okay, if you have a real process that's going on inside of your environment, you then have an OODA loop. If you don't have an OODA loop, you don't have a good process because yep. it has to be iterative. Now, the iterative processes are going to be updating new information all of the time, depending upon the configuration of how your networks and detection and reaction systems and intelligence gathering networks are working. These are all time functions, which gets now into the trust question, back to where you're saying, I have an initial level of trust. We're not going to say how we got there yet, but some nominal number of trust amount of trust. And then over some period of time, that trust is going to naturally degradate unless I repopulate it with new information that's either going to increase or decrease it. Otherwise, it's going to decay on its own, either logarithmically or exponentially. That's just what's going to happen. Now, that is where you're uh, saying, this is my learning section. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. During that period of time, whether it's a millisecond or a week, it doesn't matter. It depends upon the UDA process that you're using. You're going to continue gathering information and use that as part of your UDA re-education and updating of either your detection or reaction or decision-making matrices. And rinse, repeat, yep. do it faster, 
or stop. And that is the fundamental abstract principle of security. And I think that folks need to really start grabbing a hold of this. Otherwise, you're just going to keep losing. Sorry to ramp it for so No, that's good. No, no, that actually ties in really well with something I'm working on right now. There's a phishing thing, right? Something came in. And the only question I had was, how long did it take you from when you identified it to shutting it down? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't even matter what the number is. That's a number. And now we can start measuring. That's the thing we got to get shorter. Mm -hmm. The less the less of that stuff that comes into the environment, the less users could potentially follow up on it, et cetera. And I was already thinking along this way, and then I opened your book and page after page going, yeah, yeah, for sure. This is where we got to get to. We just got to go faster. And so everything I'm looking at right now is, is there a shortcut we can take? Is this really our priority at this step of the decision that we're facing? You know, how soon can we stop this? It's so easy to get off on a wrong track and they're in and out, right? So... There's an interesting uh, thought I actually had earlier after I read what Tim had sent me. <laughs> he says, we're going to talk about it. I go, oh, that actually gave me a thought. Um, one of the groups of the, that runs enterprises in the world has been thinking about time in their processing more than anybody, and it's the financial traders in New York. <laughs> yeah. How, what is the shortest physical path I can get my fiber optics that are running at 200,000 kilometers a second nominal transmission speed from Wall Street or East Rutherford, New Jersey? And if I can cut it by 10 meters, now I have a three nanosecond advantage over the next trader. Mm -hmm. yep. They intuitively have understood this and implemented it and spent tons of money to make get that those minor minor incremental time reductions to their favor yet we in security still think next generation firewalls are going to fix oh, it i know and this you know, uh, yeah i know i know and then this gets all involved then with probabilistic views uh, how do you determine trust values how do you decrement that trust over time what are the criteria that you're using in order to be able to get that initial baseline for your uh, your your learning space, as you're calling it, and um, that's just an integration of a curve over time. And there, there's your answer. Yep. So I spent most of my career on the executive side, trying to explain to executives what we're trying to do. And focusing on something that's that they can wrap around and, and deal with. So your your OODA loop that you know the observe, the orient, decide, and act. And and the faster I get in that cycle, the less risk I produce or the less risk I got to deal with from an organization. And I make the decision quicker to protect the assets. So how like if you're brand new folk coming into the security world, they're listening to this podcast, they're wondering how do I get to where he is in his chair? How do you get that mindset across to an executive? so that they can understand that that decision-making process has to be faster, and here's the way we're going to do it. I'm glad you asked that question, because I have the answer, and I haven't done it yet, but I'm, I'm looking for somebody to help. I want to give huge credit to Dr. Mark Carney. 
a little backstory on this. I met him in Paris some number of years ago at a great conference called Hack in Paris. I was ranting about analog network security and all this. And Mark calls up from the audience. I didn't know him. He goes, Wayne, you're full of shit. <laughs> all right, cool. You buy the first beer. One napkin, two napkin, 10 people, hypothetically, more than one beer and more than one glass of wine. He goes, holy shit, you're right. Right on. And he has kept the mathematics honest. He has gone through and formalized the equations uh, from the probabilistic views of the efficacy of any piece of hardware or decision-making process, uh, the decay curves, all the variables. And so what I really want to work on, and I need some help, and I've just decided I'm, I'm willing to fund it, uh, I want to turn everything that's in the book into a visualization tool where all the variables can then be inputted and use that as, remember the old uh, uh, show, uh, no, kids game called, um, operation yeah yeah yep and you get the thing right when the inside OODA loop in three dimensions is spinning and doing its thing and you're adding your variables and then the outside of the loop is doing the same thing if they touch each other it's like operation i'm in i'm in if you need some a cross test dummy i'm (laughs) in for one guy to do that probably a grad student oh wow that would be for someone to do that as their thesis work would be pretty That'd be pretty spectacular. Mm-hmm. Back to your executive question. Yeah. Um, that's exactly why I wanted to do this, because I know that the book is really dense. People try to get through it, and it's slow, and I get it. Uh, the visualization of it uh, of a, a dynamic system, and that can be whether it's electrical, acoustic, mechanical, mm-hmm. electrochemical, or in this case, cyber. They're all identical. Yeah at the abstract level. And so I'm, I'm kind of living at ozone level or way above ozone somewhere and want to create this tool. I think that'd be awesome. I mean, and so, I mean, don't get me wrong. The book, if you look at the book from a different perspective, like analog network security, but I looked at it from the risk perspective that look, everything you put in there, if you actually focus on how can I reduce the risk by decreasing the time? Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, that was the simplest explanation of the book. Yeah, go faster. Go faster, right? And to, now to explain that to an executive is like, I need, Mr. VP, I need you to listen to this one because here's how we're going to get there, right? And then it's then the sell, the sales pitch now is, and here's how it's going to reduce the risk. The other element that really has to go into this is I people. This is not a panacea all by itself. It's it, it's a, an approach that is going to work, but it's not going to be binary. It's not going to say, I'm now secure. Right. Because all of the elements that go into this, none of them are binary in themselves. They're all analog functions with some degree of somewhere greater than zero and less than one on a probability scale. Somewhere in there. So you're going to be making a binary decision at the uh, outer levels of your OODA loops, but on the inner levels of the OODA loops, uh, your fine levels of granularity are completely defined by how you want your process to work. Uh, The other thing about probability that that occurs that people don't think about, well, if I have more than one, it's going to be good. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe, because if you're looking at each one uh, as an OR gate or an AND gate, 
and how they are logically tying to each other, and then you add the probabilities, uh, you can make it a whole hell of a lot worse if you miswire all of this stuff. And again, it's a function of time and probability. Keep zeros and ones out of it. None of this is going to give anybody absolutely perfect security, but uh, mathematically sound. Right. So you keep mentioning probability, which I think is great. And uh, if we're messaging this to other, you know, to try and get the money to drive the programs, I guess is ultimately where I'm thinking. Um, But we seem to spend way more money and time in the enterprises on that protection that we know is going to fail. And we tend to give short shrift to the detection element. We may do something on the respond, but it's often in the form of a tabletop or, you know, some long document that nobody can even remember where they stored it. But the detection, the actual identifying when there is something going on, like the jewelry store break-in kind of thing, I don't think we really design that in. No, um, the, to get people to get their brains that digital does not mean binary is often really rough for people that have grown up with a, in a digital world. I'm trying to be very careful with my words here. (laughs) Yeah, all right. So, um, and getting people to understand, okay, got to get rid of, we're, we're never going to succeed never going to succeed but the goal should be and would take motorola as an example back from the 80s their experimentation in six sigma manufacturing it was a mathematical function we are going to get our defect rates down and and here is how and here's how we're going to measure it right yep in our industry people still don't have a metric and that's why i go back to time right now you don't have to go out doug and spend and sell one of these products that I'm talking about that doesn't exist. (laughs) What you can do today is measure what you got. Great you asked that because it was on my, my notes of stuff to ask. In my day job, I work a lot with critical infrastructure and that that whole integration now that they're trying to do with the I want to call it metadata, but the information about the process that helps them squeeze that last dollar out of it, similar to the, you know, 10 nanosecond advantage with the fiber cable. That all sounds good, but how do you get that across from that nice closed system back across? And we see this, well, we'll put in a DMZ, but I I actually wanted to ask, like, do you think DMZs work or is it just inviting fail down the road because they seem to evolve into Swiss cheese, right? Yeah. I, I like your prior question versus the DMZ question. <laughs> yeah. DMZ is just throwing some technology at something that you're praying for. <laughs> <laughs> Can I use that line? I like that one. That's a good one. I like that one. A- I think <laughs> that single biggest thing that an enterprise could do in order to say we're going to take security really seriously, we have no idea how big and all this shit is yet. If they could constrict 
the pipes into their organization to a known set of controlled accesses Mm -hmm. globally, then you got a prayer to be able to start doing some isolated analysis of what the F is going on. I like that, right? right you got to look at your gazintas and gazoutas. Yep. They can't be infinite. And right now, they're close to infinite. Or unknown is as bad as infinite. Yeah, yeah. when your firewall rule set takes, you know, spreadsheets to control or manage, that's ridiculous, right? That's what what's killed me over the years is there's no... And I go back to my physical security days. When when we created a loading area or we created the in a physical DMZ, you only had a path in or a path out or an alternate path in out. That was it. And we controlled that that we controlled the space. I, we don't mm-hmm. we don't do that now on on the cyber side. We don't control that space because when I want to bring data from a controlled or that closed environment to an open environment, we create like you said we we create a a hopeful space called a DMZ. Fingers crossed, everything works. Now that shit doesn't work because we know eventually rules fail, change requests go through, upgrades happen, and people don't get notified. Comms don't work, people don't realize it, and now to your point, when now we get Swiss cheese. So that closed environment is coming into this gelatinous mass that we're going to call our corporate network or the internet. And now, now I, my PDR doesn't work, and my OODA loop is down to I, I have no clue. That's what that's what bugs me, right? In this whole space, and it, we can get way better at this. Engineering fundamentals say you got to know what you're doing. And this has been patching mm-hmm. yeah. from day one. Uh, the, the, the Internet, a lot of people forget, it was a it was a mad scientist's experiment run amok. And now we run the planet on it. Yep. Didn't you know some of those guys? Oh, you made a point earlier, and I wanted to bring up something that's another bitch of mine, but I also did see something good coming out of it. Um, you were talking about uh, detection and uh, enhancing detection and all that. Part of detection is uh, another piece of where the security industry has epically failed at the uh, abstract level, and that is we do uh, started with availability. Okay, uh-huh. we can. Yeah, we there's got to be a cool. Oh shit! Now we got the privacy people. We got to go get confidentiality. Cool. We've been largely ignoring integrity from day one. And we've got to build integrity into all of our supply chain of digital assets and have it something that is integral to all aspects of our lives because it gets more and more dangerous out there. And with the deep fakes and all that stuff, it's wonderful. It's a lot of fun and can be used for good, but can also be used for evil. And unfortunately, we've been talking integrity for how long? Mm -hmm. It's 59 years, is it? 1972, when the CIA or something came yeah. out from the Anderson model. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, it's got to be that long, right? Almost 60 years now. So that that's been part of the yeah. discussion from. And so integrity. Why? Why haven't we? Why? Why isn't integrity built in at a strong level? So, Is it because it's too hard? It's too expensive? It's there's no value. Like I'm just. We've been talking about this. And that- I want to make sure that the money I send you is the money I send you. Yeah. And so there are verification. And if you recall from the original crypto days, when original DES was used, there were symmetric uh, validations and integrity checks built into those encryption schemes. There are a number of them used in encryption transmission schemes these days as well. No problem. And you can detect seeding. You want to go post-quantum. You can play all that stuff. But I'm talking straight data chain. Mm-hmm. Data yep. from the source to the, its life cycle. 
when people screw with it, it can have profound effects upon everything. And Adobe still, okay, Adobe, give these guys a hundred bucks, all right? (laughs) (laughs) Companies like Adobe, there are some mechanisms for building this in, in those kind of ecosystems. But if there is a provenance uh, tag built at the source of all digital media, then that kind of makes it a very different, compelling thing to do. It, it wouldn't. I mean, it makes our life easier, right? At least on on the on the risk side, because now that's one of the risks I can start reducing right away. If we've got that type of integrity that's built into, you know, whatever the chain is we're using from birth to death of a piece of data, if I can demonstrate the integrity for that, now I can I can reverse engineer what my risk assessment is going to look like. And how can I put controls in place to reduce that point of attack, reduce the time against that asset and ensure and that, that it's part of the OODA loop yeah, in, yeah. in the strength of the of the trust that you have in the integrity of that particular portion of your process. And, and then I go back to my executives and let them know that every time we bring forward this data and we can demonstrate the integrity, your business decision, you can actually make a valid decision because you can trust the data. Retire. There you go. Using that word again. Tim. Yeah, I want to retire and go work with dogs. Right. That's that's the deal. Right. Dirty word. No, no, no. I know you're never going to retire. I mean, you're never going to retire. Why would I? Well, okay. So I got a question about that. Uh oh. No, no. I mean, we got lots of we got lots of folks who are going to be listening to this who are me looking at a, a career or changes to their career or doing something in their career. What would you recommend to somebody new coming into the gig, into the cybersecurity space? What would you recommend them to go look at or go explore? I actually have a paper on that that hasn't been published yet. Um, I wrote it a couple of years ago, kept meaning to publish it. And it's called The Future of Cybersecurity Education, The History of the Future of Cybersecurity Education. And it covers... uh, Three areas, because I operate under the premise that we have become so specialized, so verticalized, that any of our interdisciplinarian views that used to maybe exist are gone. And we need to really look at uh, three areas to get people focusing on. See if I can get these right now. Number one, learn freaking basic engineering. I don't want you to be a mechanical engineer, but understand what the questions are, what the problems are, and uh, understand the basics of electronics. Uh How does a magnetic field influence an electrical current? Yes, you do care. (laughs) Why is it hard to make a quantum circuit smaller? Why, what is noise? What are thermodynamics? What are the basics of what makes all this shit work? Logic and or NOR gates, all that fun stuff, right? So so the basic engineering, learn the process, wonder why, watch the Tacoma Narrows Bridge fail, then go figure out why. What is resonance? How does acoustic resonance? Was Tesla nuts? Did acoustic resonance really cause an earthquake in New York? Wow. It is theoretically possible. All right. How do lasers work? How does nanotechnology work? Why is graphene magic? Mm-hmm. Material sciences are going to change the world and they're going to affect cyber every inch of the way. How? Understand the bigger framework. Number one. Number two, history. History of everything. Understand warfare. Understand the nature of conflict. Where have we been before? Historically, with technology and the growth, and this doesn't mean you're going to become an historian, but a course or two in understanding technology through the ages and how it's affected civilizations. 
cultures over the years uh, and how the interface with humans has come about. Then we get into computer history. When, I, when I've given talks, I go, okay, everybody knows Shannon, right? One hand goes up. Shannon, Claude Shannon, information theory, anybody. And, you know, Norbert Wiener, cybernetics, all the basics that created where we are today, nobody understands or is aware of. And then the third part is learn humanity. Understand that this exercise we are doing is an experiment in biological and silicon, well, silicon carbon integration. And whether it's done through uh, the actual technologies or through the brain interface or the consciousness or the intent of one versus the other, how does neuroscience impact all this? Why did you know you could read a sentence fluently of all the words if the first and last letter of the word are the normal and the ones in the middle are screwed up? Yeah. Why? Because we average really, really well. Yeah. Computers operate precisely. Yet we've got this binary analog confusion occurring again. Why? Everybody needs to understand that we're talking about making technology work with humans. Uh -huh. Not what we have been doing is trying to make humans work with the technology. So those three areas, go learn your firewall shit. Go learn PCP, IP, MOUSE. God bless. Get skilled. Get certifications. But get these other three things under your belt, too, please. It'll make you that much more valuable to the industry. Thanks so much, Wynn. We really appreciate you being on Caffeinated Risk. That was just an amazing interview, and it's always great to listen to what you have to say and how passionate you are about the topics that you bring to the table. It was, it was just, it was amazing. Thanks so much, Wynn. We really appreciate it. And our next guest coming up on Caffeinated Risk is Scott Klazowski. He is the principal and founder for the Future Point of View. Scott is a futurist. We just listened to Wynn talk about where we were in security and where we are today. Scott's now looking five years or more into the future and where we can be in this in this profession of cybersecurity. So we're really looking forward to bringing Scott to Caffeinated Risk. If you get a chance, folks, please make sure you go back to our website, caffeinatedrisk.com, and subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple, and all your favorite podcast platforms. Thanks for listening to Caffeinated Risk.